biggest thing is being intentional about that money. Don't just take the bonus, say, okay, where are we going this year on a trip or whatever that excess cash flow is coming to you. You just want to think about being intentional with it. And the big thing is some kind of a combination that works for you, which is part of it enhancing lifestyle, but part of it thinking about the future. Welcome to Your Retirement Planning Simplified with your host, Joseph Curry, a CFP professional who is going to help you learn how to simplify your retirement planning. This podcast is all about helping you answer those burning questions you've had about your retirement possibilities and making a plan to get there. Through retirement planning education, resources, and expert interviews, Joe will help you get clear on your retirement vision, how to simplify it, and what you'll need specifically to achieve or maintain your financial freedom. Ready to live out your retirement dreams and create future opportunities for the ones you love? Then let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. I am Joe Curry, along with my co-host, Lindsay Wilson. How are you today, Lindsay? I'm great, Joe. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks. I'm excited today to talk about one of my favorite books from a financial planning sense, I guess you could yeah. say, The Millionaire Next Door. Yeah, and you just reread it just in the last couple of weeks, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it's been top of mind for me again. And there's just a lot of really good lessons in there that I thought we could share with our audience today. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to take the key lessons. We have about 18 key lessons that we can take from the book. And it's really from a viewpoint or a framework of ways that you as a retiree or your children, the next generation, can apply it to planning for retirement. Yeah, so I think what we'll find for a lot of the listeners is that they've maybe incorporated a lot of this into their life over the mm -hmm. years if they've had financial mm -hmm. success. But it's also important to think about how we're you know, passing that on to the next generation as well. So I think anyone listening could get something out of this episode. Absolutely. So I guess to jump in, I think one of the questions I think we could begin sort of generally is how can listeners effectively adjust their spending habits to ensure that they're constantly saving for their future? Yeah. So one of the things from the book really points out is that the millionaires, and just a one note there, Millionaires Next Door was written in the 90s, I believe, right? So that might be even a, a higher amount. We're thinking about millionaires, maybe it's like the 10 millionaires now. But anyway, some things that they really point out was, yeah, living below your means. And that is taking steps to make sure you're paying yourself first, right? So it's like a concept we talked about in the past, but it's putting money systematically into investments before you go ahead and start spending money. So that's one that's kind of really important. Another one that they talk about in the book is that most of these families, when they're a couple, both spouses in the relationship are on the same page and they take time each year to kind of map out their budget and prioritize where their, their spending is going to be. And they'd have the same goals and they'd be working in the same direction. So for the couples kind of listening, that that was one of the, the big takeaways for setting yourself up for success from a, standing, or a cash flow standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I guess to follow up on that, if we were to look at you know frugality, could you provide some practical tips for people to incorporate frugal practices into their daily lives, but without feeling deprived? Yeah, so... One of the, the things that we've talked about a lot, which I think would kind of fit well here is, is being clear on your values and your family's values so that you know when you're spending money, is this something that you know is in alignment with our values or is it just convenient, right? And so when you're clear on your values, it makes it a lot easier to know where as a family it makes sense to spend money. And it also makes it a lot easier to know 
where spending money is not going to really add value to your life or be in, in alignment. And it's easier to kind of cut back on those things. So most people kind of go through life without really getting clear on that and more or less spend what's convenient without giving it a whole lot of thought. So being clear on your values is, is probably what I'd add to that mm-hmm. piece. And then I think that there's always as well, people who, who are generally successful in retirement understand investing wisely. And what are some low risk investment options, especially those perhaps new to investing as the next generation might be, can explore to start growing their wealth? Sure. So one of the things I'd say about that from the book is they talk a lot about how these families do a lot of their own research and they educate themselves on what's available. So Often they are working with advisors, but they're not going in blindly. They are doing some of their own education. They understand how markets work, things like that. And as far as, you know, how they're investing, and this is also kind of coming from from us and no specific recommendations, but investing in a way that is more low risk in the sense that you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? So getting clear on what your goals are, planning for the future, not just in the short term, and then diversifying your investments. So if it's someone who's younger, maybe they're going to have more companies in their portfolio like stocks, as opposed to more high interest savings and GICs and bonds or things like that, right? But you don't want to be taking a bunch of chances, I guess, or taking too much risk where you're going all in on one company or all in on crypto or or whatever it is, right? It's so it's being diversified, and then sticking with the plan is probably the most important piece there. We did do a podcast last year with Christian Newton from Dimensional, and we talked about uh, the psychology of investing and the fear of missing out and being swayed by by pop culture and just trying, again, staying the course and educating yourself and speaking to your financial planner and that sort of thing. Now, something that's near and dear to our hearts, of course, and we've talked in the past about retirement tips and advice for business owners, is if you, for instance, are a, a business owner or an entrepreneur, for those who are intrigued by the idea of entrepreneurship, what initial steps could they take or recommend to turn a passion into a successful business venture? Yeah, so the book talks a lot about how most of the people they, they surveyed, these millionaires next door, were involved in their own business. So they were entrepreneurial. And at this point, when you're listening to this, if you're close to retirement, I mean, you're probably going to follow through on where you're at to finish out this career. But whether it's your kids or whether it's when you get to retirement and you know you want to do something different, try something new because you've had some idea that you thought might be a good business, you know the first thing I would say is you know go for it, try it out. It's important to be curious, important to learn in the perfect world. And something I've done a lot of is finding mentors in the space that you kind of want to get into, right? So maybe business owners in general, but if you could find someone in the space where you would like to you know open a business, that would be a really good place to start. But there's a ton of different resources, books, and you don't have to rewrite the script. But there's maybe a template out there to help someone launch their business or uh, give them guidance on the steps to take. Yeah, don't reinvent the wheels, I was trying to say. So yeah, template, exactly. But yeah, especially for the people listening to this, I mean, once you get to retirement, if you secured your retirement, I mean then there's not as much risk, right? So I would say jump into it. But for your kids, it's, yeah, just encourage them to learn more and pursue their passions. And the other thing is you could be working and starting something on the side, right? So you don't have to go all in right away. At a certain point, you need to kind of rip the cord, so to speak, and jump all in if it's going to really take mm-hmm. off. But you you can start out mm-hmm. slow. Mm-hmm. And I think that really touches upon, again, encouraging 
entrepreneurial thinking in the next generation as well. And it's something that I'd like to, something we, we, we didn't expand on, but something I'd like to jump back to is the idea of staying the course and having a long-term perspective. And I guess it's how can listeners shift their mindset from short-term gains to considering the long-term impact of their financial choices? How do they stay the course? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say to that is that is one of the biggest differentiators between people who have built up wealth versus those who haven't is their ability to forego what's happening today to achieve their longer goals, right? So they don't need that immediate gratification so much. Or maybe they do, but they've they found a way to not give into it as much. Yeah. So we talked about businesses. So if you've started your own business, I mean, there's sacrifice to be made at the start, right? Because there's not cash flow. You need to get things going and you need to reinvest into the business. So for a business to take off in almost every scenario, there needs to be some pushing down the road to immediate gratification. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not the business sense, if it's just saving and building wealth, I mean, it's patience and discipline that are what build wealth over time, right? So uh, we've probably talked in the past about the power of compound interest. It's really quite incredible the amount of growth you can get given enough time, right? But sometimes it's really hard to see what that growth will be long-term when we just look at it year to year, especially when we have bad markets like we did last year and things are choppy. Like it's hard to really see that that long-term picture. But that's where planning really comes in, getting clear in your goals and your values and putting together a plan to get to where you want to be in the future and kind of mapping that out. And then you can kind of see how it should take shape over time, right? So without any kind of planning and and really thinking ahead, though, it's hard to not just think about today. A pretty hot topic that a lot of people would have have questions about when thinking about retirement is lifestyle inflation, right? Could you provide examples of how lifestyle inflation could hinder financial progress and offer suggestions to prevent it? Yeah, well, the big thing about lifestyle inflation, so just forget about regular inflation for a second, is it's kind of this idea that as I make more money, my lifestyle immediately adjusts to keep up with it, right? So it's also lifestyle creep is another term used for that. So what you're still working, what I always tell people is, you know, if you've worked hard, you're making more money than you were last year, you don't necessarily need to kind of forego all that additional income, right? You've earned it and you want to enjoy some of it, but you don't want to just let it, creep in and take over all that additional cash flow as far as your spending goes. So again, when you come back to planning and, and looking at your budget and cash flow over time, it's a little bit easier to plan this out. But maybe you want to look at it and say, okay, you know, 50% of that's going to go into our spending money, but 50% of that we're going to put away into investments for our future, whether that's for retirement or starting up a business or, or whatever it is, right? So the biggest thing is is being intentional about that money. Don't just take the bonus, say, okay, where are we going this year in a trip? or you know whatever that excess cash flow however it's coming to you you just want to think about being intentional with it and and the big thing is some kind of a combination that works for you which is part of it enhancing lifestyle but part of it thinking about the future and i think to follow up on thinking about the future i think another important conversation we've covered it talked about this on a couple of episodes is inheritance planning and could you discuss the importance of estate planning in securing a transfer of wealth across generations yeah, so there's a lot of pieces that go in here. So one is, especially when we're talking about higher wealth, is the tax piece, right? So there's a lot of things that can be done from a tax standpoint, and if not properly planned for ahead of time, and roughly 50% of that could be going to uh, to CRA here in Canada. And that's not what most people want for their money, right? So there's other planning around charitable plan giving to get taxes down, in some cases, life insurance, in some cases, it's moving money out of retirement assets sooner than if you're taking the minimums, for example. So there's a lot of different strategies 
that can be in place long before anything ever happens so that you, you've minimized those taxes. And estate planning isn't just about uh, having a will and getting money to the next generation. It's also, you know, their powers of attorney. So who's making decisions for you around your property if you're unable to? Who's making decisions for you around healthcare, again, if you're unable to? And then there's also, one. it's one thing to have directions in a will about how things are supposed to be passed on, but is the will lined up with the beneficiaries of your retirement accounts and your life insurance? And have you had a family meeting with your family so they know exactly why you made Betty Sue the executor mm -hmm. as opposed to the other children, right? So these are all different things that go into estate planning. But that communication piece that I just kind of alluded to is, is the most important piece to make sure everybody's on the same page. Totally. Now, something I would like to transition into is a little bit more thinking about planning for the next generation, which is something that the, the book focuses on as well. And I think one of the, the major obstacles that a lot of people face is when it comes to education, many people apply for student assistance. And it's how to strike a balance between pursuing that higher education at university or college, but avoiding student loan debt that definitely impacts someone's financial journey. Yeah, everyone's going to have their own thought on this. But one of the big things that one of the takeaways from the book is that in order to foster financial independence in the next generation, it's important that you're not giving too much away to your kids, right? And again, everyone's going to have their own kind of values around what they want to do, how they want to help their kids get started. But it's pretty clear in the book from the research that when there's too many handouts, even though parents think they're helping their kids, what happens is they become dependent on you continuing to help mm -hmm. them out, right? So, you know, first it's paying for all the education and then it's helping with the down payment on the house. And then it's, you know, helping with the grandkids or whatever it is. And a dependency starts to kind of form as opposed to the people who were forced to kind of figure it out on their own. And a lot of, a lot of wealth is actually first generation mm -hmm. wealth is because, and it's because people were forced to figure out their own financial independence mm -hmm. and how they're going to create their own wealth. And so that doesn't always pass on to the next generation when too much is handed out. So what I would say to that is, you know, even if you want to help your kids pay for their education, you know, maybe there's some kind of requirements around them paying for a certain amount of it or, you know, having to meet certain criteria in order for you to pay for it. So maybe they take on the loans and if they're passing and then they get a, a job or they're doing certain things then you're kind of helping them maybe pay that, that debt back down a bit. And the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of education that can be uh, had from real life experience too, right? So, you know, post-secondary education is great, but you don't necessarily want to overdo it if you not don't know what you're going to do with it, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe you're doing it at a bit of more of a kind of a part-time basis where you're working a little bit more, so you're paying for more as you go and you're not taking on as much debt. But I think the big thing there is, yeah, you want your kids to have some kind of skin in the game, I guess, so to speak, from the start. So they start figuring out how they're going to take on these financial responsibilities, which will then foster more financial independence later on. It's important now also to touch on debt because it's not always the case that younger people are made aware of how to handle consumer debt. And could you just look at how consumer debt, it could be a significant roadblock to financial independence and maybe offer us some guidance? Yeah, well, I mean, it can be crippling really to building wealth over time. So if you think about it, and a lot of times this is like credit cards, right? So if you're looking at 19 or 21% interest on a credit card so that you could buy, I don't know, a CDU, for example, versus had you invested that money and you were actually making interest on it. So by avoiding taking on that consumer debt, 
we can just even avoid those interest payments. So when I'm talking about that 19 to 20% or even a regular loan, I mean, nowadays you're looking at like 10% anyway, if it's not secured. So by saving ahead, so coming up with your goals, putting a plan in place to set the money aside ahead of time, and then making purchases after you've saved your money will then allow you to avoid all that interest, which you can otherwise then divert what you would have been paying to interest to mm -hmm. the bank and actually putting it towards building your own wealth, right? So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. So on one hand, you're paying the interest to the bank, so it's costing you money, and you're also not getting interest or growth on what you could have been putting away, right? So I know there's always things that we want, make things uh, you know nicer in the house or we can have more fun with, and we gotta try to keep up with the Joneses, but there's always gonna be something, right? So again, getting clear on your values and your goals and coming up with a plan. Something I'd like to jump back to because I had some follow-up questions and thinking about, again, that entrepreneurial spirit or working as an entrepreneur, would you be able to speak to, I guess, work ethic and how people could channel their work ethic into opportunities that might lead to you know, a second career in retirement or promotions or career changes? Yeah. So there are a couple of things here. So one, uh, we we're talking about the entrepreneurial side is if you want to start your own business, you need to understand it's going to be work, right? There's going to be commitment. There's going to be a lot of time that needs to go in. And the rewards, like obviously we're talking about how a lot of the millionaire next door families have made a lot of their wealth through businesses. So there's definitely the financial upside of putting that work in. Uh, there's also more freedom and flexibility, but it's a grind and it takes a lot of work to get going. And to think you kind of do it kind of part-time and, and make something of it. It's not really going to play out. Now, I said earlier, you could probably start something on the side, right? But that's kind of just getting some traction, getting your feet wet, learning without completely throwing away your other income sources, right? But I, I also mentioned at a certain point, you kind of need to rip the cord and go all in. That's the only way it will, will turn into to something bigger where it's going to really enhance that wealth or make you the millionaire next door. And now not everybody obviously is, a, is an entrepreneur or business owner, but the same applies in your career, right? So you know, there's two kinds of people. There's people who just do what's asked of them, which is okay. They show up, do what's asked of them, and then go home. And then there's people who take initiative, bring ideas, kind of go above and beyond. And if you want to progress throughout your career and get those promotions and get to the next level, I mean, those are the things that I guess business owners are, are noticing in their employees. And that's going to take you a long way to increasing your income, which is going to allow you to put more money away and again, build more mm -hmm. wealth. So hard work is just one of the greatest attributes you can have as far as building wealth into the future. For sure. And I think you touched on it a little bit even is again, just the importance of networking and relationships and showing up and offering your ideas and being present. And I don't know if you want to speak any more about some insights on cultivating meaningful professional relationships or new business ventures. Well, I guess what I'd say to that is, I mean, there's a million different ways to meet people and grow your network, right? Ideally, you're getting out and doing things that you're passionate about and you love. So, you know, for me, you know, I love playing hockey and I've met so many people and my network is, you know, just full of people I've met through hockey in different places from when I was a kid to playing university to people I play men's league with now, right? So the, the easiest way to grow your network is to find people who like what you like and do those same things, right? So Lindsay, for you, you know, it's in theater. Mm. I'm sure you've met, made a lot of friends. Wonderful through, people, yeah. Plays yeah, you've done, right? Absolutely. So as far as strategy, I'd say that's probably the best way to approach it. But the importance of it, you know, I don't think it can be overstated in the sense that we all like to think that if we do the right things and we have all the right things to put on our resume, we're going to get the job we want or 
you know, we're going to open the doors we want for sales because we're good at our job. But a lot of times, unfortunately, especially if uh, it's hard to pick between one person or another, it's going to come down to, to who you know. So there is a lot of importance when it comes to networks. So for younger people, sir, and that's not really our, our audience, I know, but if you're talking to your kids, I mean, just when you're in university, things like that, I mean, however you can be meeting people and expanding. And again, you don't want it to be superficial. I mean, that, and that's where it comes back to finding like-minded people who share similar interests, that kind of stuff, right? But you definitely want to grow your network because you never know when that might come in handy. I think something else, again, just to look at some of the key lessons from the Millionaire Next Door book, again, in terms of enabling the or helping the next generation to be independent is the value of financial independence or teaching that value and teaching financial literacy. So I guess we could look at why achieving financial independence is crucial for living a life on one's own terms. And that, of course, applies to retirement. And is there a way to move closer to that goal? And, and what strategies could our listeners use to speak to their children about money management and set them up for financial success? Sure. So I guess one of the big things from the book was that when the second generation also kind of a, was able to be financially independent and not need help from their, their kids, a big part of it was their parents set a good example, right? And, and how they spent and how they saved for things. They also educated them. So financial literacy isn't something that there's a whole lot of education on, though I hear they're making some changes in Ontario. So we'll see about that. But financial literacy really is not something that is taught in our schools for the most part. And, you know, a lot of families don't really talk a lot about money, even with their kids, right? So uh, a big part of it is teaching about finances. So if you are successfully financial, talk to your kids about that. You know, why is that? Have, what kind of hard decisions did you have to make? Also, you know, working with a financial planner would be a good idea, right? So again, getting clear in your values and your goals and working with someone who's an expert in that area and, you know, collaborating with them to come up with a plan that's going to help you achieve that financial independence. But the key for the millionaire next door what was kind of taken out of that for me as far as financial independence is that was a, a clear value and a clear goal for the millionaires next door. And I guess, how could people provide that balanced support to children without enabling financial dependence? Like where, how could a parent find that balance? So I mentioned a little bit earlier about kind of having kids getting skin in the game, right? Having to contribute a certain amount in order to get their parents to help with their, their school. So another way, maybe if, uh, you know, the kids want to start a business. So they give the example in the book, how parent wanted, they were a successful business owner, their daughter wanted to start a business. So they wanted to help them and they took care of all the expenses to get everything going and you know, the business flopped pretty quickly. But at the end of the day, there was nothing on the line for the daughter, right? There was no risk involved at all. So in scenarios like that, it, again, it might be a sharing in the profits, maybe taking on some of the ownership right? So you're both involved, or maybe it's just, you know, helping through mentorship and time rather than money, right? Especially if you have those skills, and you've done it before, because then learning how to do it on their own is going to be a lot more important than them having some funding behind them where they don't have any skin in the game. So it's, I don't think there's a perfect answer there. And the book talked a lot about how just not giving financially and more giving, again, that kind of that mentorship and, and helping with the experience and teaching the financial literacy was all a lot more important. And giving too much help is the exact opposite. And I, I guess what we're getting at really is passing on core values and how parents can engage with the next generation of their children to value hard work, things like humility, integrity, which will allow them to contribute to overall financial success. Yeah. So passing on core values starts with understanding what your core values yeah. are, right? Which the navigator um, can help you do. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, understanding what they are, living to those values and sharing those values and how you're living 
within those values with your with your kids. I mean, it, it's really just yeah, being clear, living it, and, and sharing it. And I think just to wrap things up, something that I think is probably the underlying ingredient in all of this, and probably the most important thing, is the value of open conversations. Yeah, absolutely. So that's everything we talked about how it's important with estate planning, right? Getting clear with your intentions, how you set things up, why you set things up. It's also clear or important with the financial literacy that we just talked about, right? So it's, you know, teaching those good habits to your kids so that they don't have to find out the hard way, right? And sometimes finding out the hard way is okay. But, you know, where we, we can teach and help our kids learn from our own experiences is, is obviously valuable. But, you know, there's probably nothing more important you could do around money than have maybe like a family meeting every year, right? Just one time to touch base on kind of the family's goals for the year, how you're addressing those from a financial standpoint, and how you're going to meet those goals. Well, that's great, Joe. Those are our, our sort of some of your key insights, our key lessons or insights for the millionaire next door. Anything that you'd want to offer a, sort of as a, any closing remarks? Well, I'd just say again, one of the, the overall takeaways, I guess, from the book is the millionaires next door are generally not the people who you think are the millionaires, because often the people we see spending all the money at the fancy cars, the big houses and everything else actually haven't achieved that status of a millionaire next door because they have taken on all the consumer mm-hmm. debt and everything else. So it might be high cash flow, but it's uh, it's usually the people who've been in the same house for 30 years or 40 years, drive used cars and replace things, I guess, on a needs basis rather than a wanted basis is, is kind of how they primarily function th- around their spending. Now, the other thing I would add to that is when you've put in the hard work and you've achieved financial independence, you don't want to have a scarcity mindset either, right? So we don't have the goal usually of uh, leaving a mattress stuff full of money. So we also want to live our best life. And again, that's where planning is important because we get clear on what we're able to spend without going broke, but still living our best life and enjoying some of the fruits of our labor. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing those insights with us today. Thank you, Lindsay. Investment services are provided through Matthews & Associates Investments of Aligned Capital Partners Incorporated and approved trade name of Aligned Capital Partners Inc. ACPI. Only investment-related products and services are offered through ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI and covered by the Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Tax planning, financial planning, and insurance services are provided through Matthews & Associates. Matthews & Associates is an independent company separate and distinct from ACPI slash Matthews & Associates Investments of ACPI. Matthews & Associates are not licensed tax professionals, and you should consult with your tax advisor before acting on any recommendations. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Your Retirement Planning Simplified. If you'd like to see how prepared you are for retirement, we've created a free retirement readiness calculator to help you out. Go to matthewsandassociates.ca forward slash ready to input your retirement information and receive instant feedback to help you evaluate your current retirement readiness. Be sure to tune back in for the next episode. And until then, we're here to help you simplify and succeed in your retirement planning.